In 1 Thessalonians, Paul praised the church for the way they received his teaching. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Churches who received the Bible as God's word are in short supply today. I encourage you to find one that loves and preaches God's word. Find one that affirms the inspiration, authority, and sufficiency of Holy Scripture, every jot and tittle of it. Better still, find a church that loves the Bible's author as much as it loves people. Then, do not hesitate to invest your time, talent, and treasure there. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God. Hello, I'm Brian Davis, and this is Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Well, the Apostle Paul wrote those words to the Thessalonians, a body of believers who had turned from idolatry and begun to worship the true and living God. Paul commended them for their strong faith, and yet, he also needed to point out a few areas of concern. Stay right here as Ron continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, where he serves as lead pastor, here's Dr. Ron Jones with his message, First Thessalonians, The Lord's Coming. Well, less than 20 years after Jesus's earthly life and ministry, a zealous missionary showed up in a place uh, called Thessalonica. Uh, Thessalonica back then was a prominent seaport and capital of the Roman province in Macedonia. Acts chapter 17 tells us that for three consecutive Sabbaths, the apostle Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. What a powerful proclamation that was for the Apostle Paul. Bold, straightforward, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ, the Messiah. The Bible tells us that many people responded positively to the gospel in Thessalonica, including some of the city's leading women, uh, many devout Greeks, and some of the Jews who were living there as well. Well, not surprisingly, the Jewish leaders grew jealous, and uh, Acts 17 tells us they recruited some rabble-rousers uh, to form a riot and they set the city in an uproar, the scripture says. And they also uh, banded together to coerce a gospel sympathizer named Jason out of his house, hoping to draw out Paul and Silas with him. Well, when that did not work, the Bible says, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, <laughs> listen to this, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king named Jesus. Wow, 
They were proclaiming King Jesus, Paul and his missionary church planting team were, and they became known as men who were turning the world upside down, which I consider to be a badge of honor for any follower of Jesus Christ. But it does beg the question at the front end of this message, is your faith, is my faith, is our collective faith as a church turning the world upside down? Uh, does, do, do the people that know you best and that you're closest to, do they know that you're worshiping and serving the King of kings and the Lord Jesus Christ? The King Jesus really is number one in your life. Is there any ripple effect going through any part of the world in which you live because of your faith in Jesus Christ? I hope there is. That ripple may reach your neighbor or your coworker or the school that you're attending. Paul and his team became known as this group of men who are turning the world upside down and they arrived in Thessalonica one day. Well, Paul and Silas departed Thessalonica at night, the Bible tells us. They traveled to Berea, where they went into the Jewish synagogue and found some Jews who were, quote, more noble than the Thessalonians. I bet the Thessalonians took issue with that, but that's what the Bible says. And they were no, more noble, apparently, because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I hope you're among the nobility the nobility who eagerly examine the scriptures and uh, daily do so. Uh, not just once in a while when you come to church and hear a sermon, although that's, that's good and that's important. We all need to be under the teaching of God's word. But as one of my professors used to say, you also need to be in it for yourself. Daily examining the scriptures, interacting with the scriptures and, and living them out. This, this was the Berean Christians and that's why they were called more noble than those in Thessalonica. Well, later Paul grows concerned about the progress of the Thessalonians' faith, and by this time he had made his way to Athens, and while he was there, he sent Timothy to encourage them and find out how they were doing. Timothy returns with a positive report about how the Thessalonians were growing in faith and in love, but um, they were also grieving over some of their lost loved ones who had died. And since Paul had uh, been there instructing them, some had crept in and uh, shared with them some erroneous views about the Lord's coming. And this complicated their grief. And so uh, Paul responded with two letters to the Thessalonians, each with a strong emphasis on the Lord's coming, which, um, as I mentioned earlier, he, he had taught them previously. Together, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians contain nearly two dozen references to the Lord's coming, um, also known as the blessed hope of the church, according to Titus chapter 2 and verse 19. The blessed hope of the church. I love that. Our hope is found in nothing less than uh, Jesus' blood and his righteousness and in the fact, I would add to that great hymn, the fact that he's coming again. Uh, that, that's what uh, has us leaning forward as believers in Jesus, the blessed hope of the church. For example, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians contains five chapters. Each chapter closes with a reference 
to the Lord's coming. For example, in chapter 1 and verse 10, he, he tells us to wait for his Son from heaven. Chapter 2 and verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Chapter 3 ends with the doxology where God establishes our hearts, Paul says, blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Then in chapter 4, it just gets better. It closes with the most significant passage of Scripture related to a future event in Bible prophecy known as the rapture of the church. I'm talking about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And then chapter 5 begins with a description of the day of the Lord, a subsequent uh, event in Bible prophecy, and ends with another doxology about how the Lord will keep us blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So throughout the book, really the books of First and Second Thessalonians, uh, Paul just saturates it with encouraging words about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 1 Thessalonians, again, is five chapters, and it can be broken into two major sections. Chapters 1 to 3, uh, Paul reflects upon his ministry to the Thessalonians, and his pastoral heart really comes out here. Uh, he says, uh, you, you were very dear to us, and he just lathers them with uh, affection and uh, with heartfelt love. And then in uh, chapters 4 and 5, it's his message or re-messaging to the Thessalonians. A couple of subjects he had taught them before, but um, they needed a reminder, and we'll get to those a little bit later. But in chapters 1 to 3, Paul expresses his heartfelt love, his appreciation for the Thessalonians, starting with these encouraging words. He says, we, we give thanks to God always for, you, for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers, Remembering before our God and Father, listen to this, your work of faith, your labor of love, and uh, steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, love, and hope. Uh, just three wonderful things to characterize any church. Their work of faith, their labor of love, their, their steadfast, unmovable hope that was in Jesus Christ. That's what characterized uh, this very young church in Thessalonica. Paul goes on to affirm the example the Thessalonians set before all the churches in Macedonia. They became known as the church, listen to this, this is chapter one and verse nine, the church that turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Let me say that again, they turned to God from idols, that's a 180, not a 360, but a 180, turning to God from idols to serve the living and true God. What a reputation they had. And may that be said of us today, that we turned to God, faced up to Him. The life of idolatry is behind us. And no, idolatry doesn't have to mean a, a carved little image that you, you know, have in your home and you bow down to. Could be that. But more so in our day and age, it's maybe what we're looking at in the mirror. You know, we're the selfie generation. Have we turned ourselves into an idol? Or maybe it's uh, some pastime or some relationship or something that you possess Anything that gets between you and God, anything that puts God second or third or fourth in your life is an idol, is an idol. 
This is a church that had the reputation of being that church that turned away from the idolatry of their day and turned to God, the true and living God. May that be said of us. And what kind of reputation do we have as a church? And how are you, how am I contributing to that reputation? I hope it's the same reputation that the church in Thessalonica had. Still ahead, the second half of Dr. Ron Jones' Something Good radio message, First Thessalonians, the Lord's coming. Need prayer today? Visit somethinggoodradio.org to share your request and our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer. Use the Explore option at the top of the homepage and then scroll down to the How Can We Pray For You icon. While you're there, visit the Something Good digital library with more than 500 hours of video and audio teaching from Dr. Ron Jones. Search the streaming library by scripture or topic to find answers to your Bible questions and grow in your Christian faith. If you were put on trial for being a true follower of Jesus Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good radio message, 1 Thessalonians, the Lord's coming. In prayer, Paul also thanked God for the way the Thessalonians received his teaching. Chapter 2 and verse 13, he writes, When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, I love this, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Again, may that be said of us as well. This, this, this warms my heart as a pastor. And, and I can say that of uh, this wonderful church that I serve that I have the joy of preaching the Word of God. You receive it for what it really is. It's not Ron Jones' best advice about something or my opinion, but it is uh, the Word of God. Uh, churches like this, quite frankly, are in short supply today. I encourage you to find one that loves and preaches God's Word. And by the way, I can recommend one after the service if you're looking for a church. But find one that affirms the inspiration, the authority, and the sufficiency of Scripture. I, I know a lot of guys, like my colleagues, who would affirm the inspiration of Scripture and even the authority of Scripture, but their preaching doesn't reflect the sufficiency of Scripture because they're not preaching the Word of God. They're preaching some self-help, positive power of positive thinking pablum out there, decorating their message with a little Bible verse here or a little Bible verse there because we're in church, right? But they're not preaching the Word. That's why I ask uh, any, any pastor who comes to this pulpit or that I come in contact with, what's your text? You start with the text of Scripture. And then, yes, it's your job to explain it, to expound upon it. But preach the Word. Uh, find that church that affirms the inspiration, authority, and the sufficiency of Scripture, every jot and tittle of it. And better yet, find a church that loves the Bible's author as much as it loves people, and then do this, friends. Invest, don't hesitate to, invest your time and your talent and treasure in that church. Not in a peripheral kind of way where you drop in once in a while when you got nothing else to do, but in a way where you prioritize the giving of your time your talent, your treasure. You're investing in eternal things. You're investing 
in the sufficiency of Scripture to change lives. This was the church at Thessalonica, and Paul applauded them for that. Paul also defends his ministry to the Thessalonians. He says, I brought the word of God to to you boldly, even though, he says, I suffered conflict and was treated shamefully at Philippi. There were some things that happened in another location that, well, it might have been part of the, the stripes that Paul had on his back. You know, elsewhere in his letter to the Corinthians, he, he talked about how he suffered for the cause of Christ. But Paul did not back down in the face of difficulty. He did not retreat from, the taking, from taking the gospel to the ends of the earth when things got difficult. I, I know some people who call themselves Christians, and they're expecting just kind of a you know, rose petals to be laid out in front of them. You know, now life is going to get easier and no troubles, and when trouble comes, they run. They run. And the devil uses that, that trouble and that difficulty to snatch away the Word of God from their heart. That wasn't Paul. Paul faced the difficulties before him head on, never retreating from his obligation to take the gospels to the, uh, gospel to the end of the earth. I'm in chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, where um, I want to read a, a section here that that describes Paul's integrity in ministry and his pastoral heart really comes out here. Uh, Follow along beginning in verse three. He says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of our God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Uh, you know, that's the kind of pastor and pastoral staff and church that you, you, you want to be a part of and, and come under the leadership of. Uh, Paul, Paul was a, uh, a soaring theologian. He could parse his theology as good as anybody, but he also had a pastor's heart. And that came through in his ministry to the Thessalonians. Paul completes his personal reflections and these expressions of fond affections for the Thessalonians with one of two doxologies in the letter, this coming at the end of chapter 3. And again, he points them to the Lord's coming. He's just ramping up to get to this, this massive subject that he wants to revisit about the Lord's coming. He says in chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Uh, What a prayer. Uh, what What a benediction. What a doxology. And that ends the first section of uh, 1 Thessalonians. Now we come to chapter 4. And in chapters 4 and 5, Paul expands on uh, two primary subjects he had previously taught the Thessalonians. 
starting with sexual and social ethics. Somebody just turned to their neighbor and said, is the pastor going to talk about sex in church? Paul did, so hey, we're here to preach the word and talk about what Paul talked about. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 8, he begins this subject. And he says in that passage, for this is the will of God. Let's just stop right there. That ought to get our attention immediately. Those of us who are always trying to determine what God's will is for our life, like it's something mysterious out there that we have to, you know, find under a rock or something. No, Paul states it plainly here in language we can all understand. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. We'll come to that in a moment. But here it is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. What a statement here. Why, why did he return to this with the Thessalonians? Well, having grown up in a Greco-Roman culture, as they did with loose sexual and social ethics, uh, the Gentile believers in the Thessalonian church lacked the moral training found in the Mosaic law. They weren't like the Jews coming out of Judaism, where they had grown up with you know, the moral instruction, for example, in the Ten Commandments about uh, not committing adultery and so on and so forth. They had come out of a Greco-Roman culture where the sexual and social ethics were loose and uh, were nowhere close to the biblical standards. Thus, the moral responsibilities in Christianity were new to them. And Paul felt like they needed a reminder. And sometimes, as a pastor in the 21st century, I feel like the church today and Christians today also need a reminder because as America grows increasingly secular and post-Christian and away from the Judeo-Christian principles upon which our country was founded, believers in Jesus Christ need a reminder about how to walk with God, how to please Him, and as Paul says, how to control their own body in holiness and honor. Uh, the church, friends, has the responsibility to proclaim the whole counsel of God, even regarding sexual and social ethics. And Paul makes it clear that abstaining from sexual immorality, and I wish I had time to spell that out in all of the ways that the phrase sexual immorality, you know, is played out today, but I don't have time for that. But you know what that is. Paul says that abstaining from sexual immorality is the will of God. Are you seeking the will of God for your life today about a job or a relationship or some new opportunity that has presented itself? The best way to find out what God wants us to do is by doing what He has already told us to do. We hear God best when we're loving Him most. Well, as you may know, Something Good Radio exists only through the faithful prayer and financial support we receive from friends like you. People are coming to faith in Christ through our media ministry, and your donations are a big reason why. 
When you donate this month, Ron will say thank you by giving you his new ebook that goes along with this series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. The seventh of eight ebooks in the series is based on the Pauline epistles. Request your ebook today when you make a gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. They were distressed. They were grieving over their dead loved ones. And somebody had slipped into the church and taught them an erroneous view about the Lord's coming, something that Paul had not taught them. And now he feels the need to come back to them and uh, nail down this, this teaching. What was this false teaching? And how did Paul address it? Find out tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, First Thessalonians, The Lord's Coming. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and all of us here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.